Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in this self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Welcome back to our study of the Acts of the Apostles as we go chapter by chapter and sometimes verse by verse through this wonderful book that talks about the unstoppability of the Church of Jesus Christ. This is a narrative book that gives us in great vivid detail the early foundational days of the Church, which is still going on today, 2,000 years later. Now, we're coming to chapter 12, and some people say, why is this chapter even in the Bible? because it serves sort of to interrupt the flow of the narrative that Luke is telling. So at the end of chapter 11, we have a focus now being given to the church at Antioch. This is north of Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem has been scattered because of persecution. Many people have gone up to Antioch, which is a city now in southern Turkey. And this, is the, this has become the center of Christianity or the center of missionary zeal. And Barnabas went up to become the bishop or the pastor there. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul, it says in verse 25, and he brought back Saul of Tarsus or the apostle Paul, and the two of them labored together there for a year. It says the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And in verse 27 of the 11th chapter, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Claudius reigned from A.D. 41 to 54. The disciples, each one as they were able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. So there in Antioch, they took up a large collection. And verse 30 says, this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now look over at the very end of chapter 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned to Jerusalem. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And at this point, the church in Antioch sends off Barnabas and Saul and John Mark on the first missionary journey. So the story goes directly from the end of chapter 11 to the beginning of chapter 13, and the narrative in chapter 12 is an interruption of it. But I have a theory about this chapter. I'm so glad it's here. It gives us some wonderful uh, picturesque um, images. It gives us stories about two different angels, and it tells us how the church cannot be stopped by a human ruler. And I think most of all, it gives Luke an opportunity to remove Peter 
from the storyline of the book of Acts with dignity. So let's begin with chapter 12, verse 1. Luke said, it is about this time, or it was about this time, uh, which would have been in the early 40s of the first century. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. This would have been Herod Agrippa I, and he was the grandson of Herod the Great who had tried to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a man who uh, had really grown up in Rome, had been educated in Rome, had gotten himself into a lot of financial trouble, even had spent some time in prison, but because of his association with Caligula and Claudius, he eventually became the king um, of this particular area of the Near East, and so he decided that he would persecute, uh, he would continue the persecu- uh, persecution of the church, and verse 2 said he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. James became the first of the apostles to be martyred. This was James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, who had first followed Jesus um, by the, um, uh, under the ministry of John the Baptist and by the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, these are the two brothers uh, whom Jesus called sons of thunder. And why it was that James became the first of the disciples to die is known only in the mind and in the providence of God. But he died with the sword. And verse 3, when Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So this wasn't in the temple precincts by the temple guard. This was King Herod Agrippa I with his Roman troops imprisoning Peter with 16 soldiers intending to put him death after the Passover. It says Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound by two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared. I went through the book of Acts once and listed all of the times that angels showed up. And there is a great, um, there is a lot of angelic activity in the book of Acts, which I think tells us that angels are very involved in what is happening in the church today. But this is one of the most um, vivid and comical times. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I can imagine Peter was laying down, maybe with his head against the um, wall and chained. And this angel came and gave him a good kick in the ribs and said, wake up, wrap your cloak around you, put on your clothes and sandals and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel Uh, was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was in a dream. They passed the first and second guards. It's as though they were invisible. They just walked right out of the temple and the guards didn't, or right out of the prison and the guards didn't see them and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them 
by itself. I can just see this happening. It's creaking and that heavy iron gate that is locked. Suddenly it just opens and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So here came this shining angel. Nobody saw him but Peter, and Peter wasn't too sure about it to begin with. He thought he was dreaming. The angel kicked him in the side, said, put on your clothes, get dressed, put on your coat, follow me. They walked, the, the chains fell off of Peter's wrists and legs, and he walked right out of the prison, past sentries who didn't see them. The iron gate opened. They went a block down um, from the jail in the city of Jerusalem, and suddenly the angel disappeared. Then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Now, Peter didn't have any right to expect this because James had already been killed, but the church was praying for him, and God still had a role for Peter, and so there was angelic intervention. I don't think that you and I realize, I know that we don't realize the angelic intervention that goes on in our lives as the children of God and how the Lord protects us from the evil one. And I know that we also do not understand the angelic activity going on as we go about our church ministries in a hostile world. You can just, if you will, imagine that there are angels around helping us in ways that we don't even realize well, verse 12 goes on. It says, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying for him. This is very interesting because now we are told that there was a large house and it was owned by a wealthy woman named Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but the mother of John Mark. Now, John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. So this was Barnabas's sister or sister-in-law. And uh, it could have been the house where the upper room was held, where Jesus had his last supper with the disciples, and it could have been the upper room where the day of Pentecost occurred. Uh, all we know is that here we have this, and, and if I had time, I would tell you my theory about John Mark. Um, but at any rate, people have gathered in this house and they're praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she came back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Someone said that Peter found it easier to get out of prison than he did to get into a prayer meeting. You're out of your mind, they told her. So when she kept on insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that we have individual angels, but some of the Jewish people in those days believed it, and some people do now, and it could be true. So they were trying to figure out uh, how it could be that someone who sounded like Peter was outside the door when they knew that he was in Herod's prison being guarded by 16 soldiers. Well, Peter kept on knocking. You know, the Bible says, keep on knocking and the door will be opened. And so Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet, and he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And then he said, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. Now, this obviously was not the James at the beginning of the chapter, the son of John, uh, the, the brother of John who was uh, martyred. This was James, 
the brother of Jesus. You know, Jesus had a number of siblings or half-siblings. Mary and Joseph had a number of other children after Jesus had been born. Jesus was the only one, of course, that was virgin-born. But then after Jesus, Joseph and Mary were fully married. They consummated their marriage, and they had a number of children. And some of these brothers didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. And I think then they saw the risen Savior. And one of them, James, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was a very Jewish man and uh, with, with a strict Jewish upbringing. He also wrote the little letter of James at the back of the New Testament, the five chapters of, uh, uh, of practical insights that we have as the book of James. So he apparently, after the persecution, uh, became the leader or the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. So Peter said, tell James what has happened here. And now look here at the end of verse 17. And then Peter left for another place. Luke doesn't tell us, but Peter doesn't show up again in the book of Acts, except very briefly at the Jerusalem conference. This effectively takes Peter off the stage. And now the attention turns to Paul. This is Luke's way. It says he left for another place. We don't know where it was. We know very little about what happened to Peter after this, except as we can ascertain it from traditions. Luke now is going to turn his attention completely to Saul the Apostle, and he is no longer going to follow the ministry of Peter as he has for the first 12 chapters of this book. So it says in verse 18, In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Now, there is a postscript here to the chapter. It says, then Herod, this is Herod um, uh, the first, uh, Herod Agrippa the first, the grandson of Herod the Great, uh, the one that we met in the beginning of the chapter, uh, who had arrested Peter. Herod went from Judea or from Jerusalem, up to Caesarea, the great port city that Herod the Great, his grandfather, had built on the Mediterranean as the headquartering city for the occupying Roman troops, and he stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of the cities of Tyre and Sidon up the coast. They'd been having some political controversies about shipping, and now they joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So Herod, Agrippa I, had had um, a real falling out with these two cities, Tyre and Sidon. It was damaging to everyone, particularly to those cities. And so the cities came and they uh, sort of acquiesced and they all made up. And it says on verse 21, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on the throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God and not a man, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. So we have an angel here at the beginning of the book, or at the beginning of the chapter, uh, an angel that helped Peter, and an angel at the end of the chapter that struck Herod down. We don't know if it's the same angel. But again, angels have a lot more to do with what is happening in this world 
and in the church than we realize. And the angel just struck him down, and it says he was eaten by worms and died. A very grisly description here. Josephus tells us uh, very much the same story, that Herod had this great public ceremony in which he was praised, and suddenly he looked up. Uh, Josephus says that he saw an owl, which he took to be an omen of ill, and he crumpled over with tremendous pains in his stomach, and he suffered excruciating pain in his stomach for five days, and then he died. That from the Jewish historian um, who lived at the same time, Flavus Josephus. Uh, and it says he was eaten by worms and died, but the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. No human ruler can hinder the spread of the word of God. It is unstoppable. And then in verse 25, the story resumes from the end of chapter 11, and the story now is going to focus on Barnabas and Saul, but particularly on Saul and Tarsus. So if you want to just think of the book of Acts as a book of uh, 28 chapters divided between the stories of two great men, chapters 1 through 12 are primarily about Peter and his ministries. There are other people there, but, but it's primarily about Peter and his ministry as the gospel is taken uh, among the Jews to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, among the Hellenistic Jews, and to Jewish congregations. And finally, Peter opens the door to the Gentiles in Caesarea with Cornelius in chapter 10. And then there is one final story about Peter in chapter 12 to allow Peter to exit the stage with dignity and with color. And beginning in chapter 13 and through the end of chapter 28, the story is all about Paul. So really, the book of the Acts of the Apostles could be called the Acts of Peter and Paul, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through Peter and Paul. But one of the lessons here, I think, well, there are several. Again, we underestimate the angelic activity that is going on in our lives and in our world, and especially in the work of the church. And no human ruler, no Herod Agrippa I, can really stop the gospel. We don't need to worry so much about the changing politics because the gospel and the growth of the church is unstoppable. But thirdly, to me, it's a very important lesson that we let people exit the stage with dignity. That is, that we appreciate the contributions they make and that we honor them and that we don't um, arrogantly sort of think that everything began with us but there are those who have come before us, and their stories and the impact that they have made is tremendous. And so we should always treat those who come before us with great dignity and allow them, when the time comes for them to exit the stage, to do it with honor, with color, and with real pleasure. Well, that's chapter 12, this sort of interval in the story of the book of Acts. And I hope that you are enjoying our study. Next time we'll continue on now with Paul and the beginning of his missionary journeys with chapter 13 of the book of Acts. This is Robert J. Morgan. Thank you for listening to my Bible teaching podcast. I hope that you'll share it with other people. We need the verse-by-verse -verse teaching of Scripture. 
and I appreciate my friends at Clearly Media for producing it. May the Lord richly bless you and be with you until we meet again.